Hi, listener. This is from Ideology to Unity, a spiritual journey where we let go of ideological doctrine and ego in favor of meaning, purpose, and unity as a whole. Today, I'm interviewing, well, having a conversation with Chris Tazarita from the podcast, A PhD in Me. And um, he talks about his experiences in rejecting the thoughts and beliefs he was domesticated, believed by the society from a young age, and so forth. Well, I've introduced him before, so um, hi again. Hello, Nick. <clears throat> so, um, how are you doing? I'm doing terrific, as always. Yeah, honestly, I I kind of envy how great you do, <laughs> generally. Because, <laughs> um, so, so, what's your secret? Do you know, I get, I get asked the question um, often. And, and in fact, in answering that question, there's a funny conversation that comes to mind. I interviewed a friend of mine um, recently. And during the interview, we were talking about the fact that I have got to a place where my default state is one of just inner love, peace and joy, which doesn't mean that I don't get triggered occasionally or get angry occasionally, but that's my default state. And she said in the interview, sometimes I just feel like slapping Chris because he doesn't realise that we're not all in that place. <laughs> and so one of the most common questions I get asked is what do you have to do to get into that place? And the first answer for me that emerges is there is nothing that you have to do. Um, I guess I started with setting the intention to change my default state from, you know, being anxious or stressed or, um, you know, whatever, um, which many, many people find is their state most of the time and they have the occasional burst of joy and the occasional burst of happiness, but it's usually driven by something that happens, something somebody says or something external, and then they drop back into a default state of, you know, um, being stressed or, or whatever it is. So I remember some years ago, I was taking my dog for a walk. We had this hill behind us and I was coming back down this dirt road and my dog was running in front of me and I suddenly had this overwhelming urge to burst out laughing. And I was walking on my own and if anybody had been watching, they probably would have thought I was a bit crazy. But I suddenly had this overwhelming sense of just being filled with joy and with happiness and I just burst out laughing for no reason because... I realized that that overwhelming happiness wasn't linked to anything external. It wasn't linked to anything that was happening or anything. It was just this feeling. And I realized that real happiness comes from inside of me. And it's something that I can choose to feel anytime or all the time. And Why? so, Sorry. go on. What we Why did you choose or why were you able or willing to choose then? Well, that, happy that, that, that you I, hadn't previously. It was like 
my my essence, my inner self suddenly gave me this overwhelming burst of joy and said, hey, here, look at this. You can have this all the time. It was almost like it, it was a random event, but I recognized it and observed it as something worth Retaining. reflecting on and then something worth figuring out how do I replicate this that I can feel this all the time right because I just realized here I am walking through nature and I was just overcome with this overwhelming sense of happiness and of joy and I thought wouldn't this be cool if I can feel this all the time that was the, the thought that it left me with and so the answer to your question starts with the intention. I set the intention to figure out how to make that my default inner feeling and inner state. And it starts with, for me, it started with not some flicking a switch and saying, I'm just going to be filled with love, peace and joy all the time. But it started with micro bursts more and more frequently of feeling happy. I realized that every time I brought thoughts of gratitude, thoughts of being grateful, that they were accompanied by that feeling of happiness and of oh. inner peace, right? And so I started to create trigger points during the day, which reminded me to feel grateful. So I go and get a coffee at ver and, and certainly at that time went to various places to get a takeaway coffee and so every time I walked somewhere to get a coffee I trained myself to think of being grateful I did it every time I walked up to an elevator so an elevator became a trigger for me to feel gratitude that the, the first thought that always be, sort of became my default thought was thank you for the gift of my life and that immediately switched me into a state of being grateful. And from there, then all the other things that I can bring to mind that I'm grateful for at that moment. And suddenly there was a microburst of happiness and of joy because we can feel stress and anxiety and fear and worry, or we can feel happiness, love, peace and joy, but we can't feel the two simultaneously. Right. So you cannot feel both in the same instant, in the same moment. Yeah. So the micro bursts of of joy, of happiness, which are brought on with thoughts of gratitude, interrupt all the other feelings and the, all the other emotions. And so I started doing that more and more frequently and I caught myself doing it more and more. And the micro bursts became more frequent and eventually they melded together and sort of became a default state. And so now it doesn't mean that things don't happen where I get stressed about something or where I get angry about something. But every cell in my body is listening to my thoughts and my feelings. And they have become so used to me being in a state of peace that if I get stressed, for more than about 10 minutes, every cell in my body is yelling at me and saying, what are you doing? You idiot, stop it. This feels horrible. And so it becomes really, really easy just to slip back into that default state because my body's actually saying, 
the chemistry that's being created while I'm angry or stressed or anxious or whatever feels so different than the chemistry of when I'm at peace and happy that my body's actually saying, no, this is no good. Stop it. Go back to, to your normal right. state. That's fascinating because like, so it, we, we actually have to get used to all these negative emotions and the negative sensations of them. Right. And it's yeah. so simple. Now, you just blew me away with how amazingly simple it is. Yeah. You just simply, you just simply be grateful, and you yeah. train yourself to be grateful. It's yeah. actually quite clever what you did, and you did it naturally, intuitively. You just sort of, and I just feel like anyone could do that. Like, I, I might be wrong, but I, I do have a sense that yeah. anyone could do that. Any, I know I, gratitude is helpful, but I, I underestimated gratitude. Or I seem to yes. slip from my mind how valuable it really is. Because if you really use it that regularly and train yourself to do it, it changes everything, right? Because you're a clear example. And it does. I just. And what happens, amazing. what I described is that all of that came from the inside out. So most people are used to looking outside of themselves for someone to help them, to fix their problems, to give them the answers. And the whole self-personal development, self-help industry is full of millions and millions of the five secrets to that, the seven steps to this and whatever else. And all of those things are fine and all of those things are valuable to a point. But one of the things that emerged when I wrote the book, A PhD in Me, was that in my observation of where humanity is heading, the age of the guru is over and the age of self-mastery is wanting to emerge, meaning that we have for thousands of years looked to um, people outside of ourselves, you know, the, 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 the clergy or the... Um, the luminaries, the, the, the famous people or the geniuses or whoever to give us the answer to whatever problem we might have. But invariably, we have looked outside of ourselves and what's emerging and what we're being invited to do is to realize that the only real answer that is ever the right answer for, for Nick or for me is the one that comes from inside, not from someone out there, which means, which doesn't mean that there are not lots and lots of people out there who I can learn from and I will learn from. But I've, I've watched and observed a different relationship to the learning process. I believe that every person who touches my life has something valuable for me to learn if I'm open to hearing it. However, in all the training courses and programs and webinars and, 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 and things and books and films that I have taken in as a learning experience, what has changed is that I don't usually learn what the person wants to teach. What I'm learning is what is right and appropriate for me at that time. Because anybody who's teaching anything has an audience of people who are all experiencing their own unique version of life. 
And so what they need to learn at that moment is never ever the same in two people. It's always different, right? And so for me as the student, I'm no longer there saying, teach me what you want to teach me, that I'm here to learn what is right for me and I will recognise it in what you're sharing, which part of that is right and in what way it applies to my particular journey at this particular moment, right? And so once again, I'm using my interaction with other people as a signpost to what my next lesson is rather than handing over the authority and say, you're, you're the teacher, you're the authority, you're going to tell me what's right and what I need to know, but it's the other way around. My inner self knows exactly what is right and what I need to know next, and I'm using the, the rest of the world to show me, give me that next signpost to my next lesson and my which is which is different for Chris than it is for every other one of the 7.8 billion people on the planet wow so I mean that you're just signposting to me like the evolution of humanity right I, I don't butt you up too much but you really seem to have discovered like the next step so I, I definitely want to listen to this again on <laughs> Because, um, yeah, I mean, this is a key time. I mean, in terms of, um, so th there's the, um, how to put it? In terms of the planets and everything and their positions, uh, this, the end of this year is actually quite significant, apparently. So, well, I'm not sure how many people I can actually expose your life philosophy to, but uh, well, see, it really so there's, there's an interesting point in what you just said, right? Because the only thing that you need to do, and the only thing that I need to do, is just authentically show up and and be detached from the outcome. So oh, yeah. all I can ever do is share me, right? And, and I have no attachment to whether somebody agrees with what I'm saying or, or understands what I'm saying. All I can authentically do is share my life view, my worldview, who I am at this moment. And the thing is that it's constantly evolving and changing so if you had spoken to chris a year ago or five years ago you'd be speaking to a different version than you are at this moment and if you speak to me in 12 months or in five years time it will be a different chris again right so the only thing i can do is authentically show up as the expression of me that i am at this moment but then let go of the need to be right for a start, because the funny thing is, if my understanding of life and of everything is constantly growing and expanding, and what I see today is different than what I saw a week ago or in a week's time, the question I always ask myself is, at what point am I right? And the answer is, I never have been and I never right. will be. So if I let go of the need to be right, the first thing that happens is, if, if everybody else does that, 
there's no more conflict on the planet because if we let go of the need to be right, how can we ever defend anything and get into conflict? Right? I mean, that is a good point, yeah. But something else I've noticed is I, I've identified that I think I, I've developed a, an attachment to serving others in terms of outcome, right? So, and if that, if I'm attached to the outcome of other people being helped by me, yeah, it's our serving others, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's outcome focused. So it's missing the and, point. Yes. And it puts an unnecessary pressure on the other person because you are looking for the outcome and expecting the outcome. And the moment you have expectations, people will disappoint you because nobody will ever fully meet our expectations because we created them in our own unique environment of our learned beliefs. And so by creating those expectations, you're, unintentionally putting pressure on the other person to meet those expectations, okay. which is not what we intended to do in the first place. So how right? do you serve others without the, the attachment to the outcome? Because by isn't just that, showing up. I guess, just, but part of the motivation to serve others is the outcome. It's not. It can Only, be. Right. That's it, my it, issue. It, it can be, but... But once I understood that my idea of an outcome is comes from my unique set of learned beliefs and my filters. And so what I think is the right outcome may absolutely not be the right outcome for that person in the first place, right? So I'm asking for an outcome that isn't even what they want or need or the right outcome for them on their unique journey. Okay. And I have okay. no way of ever knowing that and recognizing that. So the only thing that I can do in serving somebody else is to share whatever it is that I have to authentically share and then say, I hand over the responsibility. Well, even that word is wrong. I hand over everything from there to you because it's your your journey, your experience of life, and your right to choose whatever you choose each moment moving forward. Right. So if it's our preference to help others, to serve others, all we really need to do is share our perspective. and Share yourself. Yeah, whatever that means. I suppose it's a matter of co-creating with others rather than Correct. trying 100%. to determine for others. Yes. Because that that is actually service to self, veiled yes. in good intentions. Yes. Hundred percent. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I no wonder I was getting all mixed up. <laughs> but I was, that's an easy mistake to make, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Humanity's been doing it. As long as uh, we've been here. Huh. Wow. So, do you 
do you meditate? That's a, that's a great question. Um, so if you really knew me, the answer wouldn't surprise you. That's no, I, I um, had this really, really strange love hate relationship with meditation in the traditional sense of the word meditation, because I saw and participated in lots and lots of people trying to teach me how to meditate and, you know, how to do it and what to do and, 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 and how to sit and whatever else. And I had the same reaction to it that I did to organized religion. Um, something just didn't feel right because I didn't want meditation and whatever that word means to anybody, to be a, a structured process that was in my diary that I um, did at such and such a time by sitting in such and such a place and crossing my legs and, and whatever else. None of that felt right for me, which doesn't mean that it's not right for lots of other people. It just didn't feel right for me. And, and so when I part took in guided meditations and led meditations, I invariably fell asleep within 60 seconds. And I used to get so frustrated because I closed my eyes and went to meditate and I was asleep. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Um, but what I discovered over time is that for me, the, the, the process of meditating is about <clears throat> quietening my mind, right? It's about going into a, a state of no mind. And I do that all day in various times, in various places, just wherever I am, I just go into a state of meditation for want of a better word. And, and it's what I refer to as, as that. Um, do gratitude. Like all of the new energy, all of the creativity, all of the new thoughts and ideas enter in the gap that we create between our thoughts. And, and for most people, for, for many people, their thoughts are just continuous and there's never a gap. And the process of meditating, I guess, is a, a formal structured way of breaking that pattern and of quietening the mind. But I, re I have intuitively rebelled against anybody and anything that tells me what I have to do in my experience of life, right? So I rebelled against organized religion, and I also rebelled against people teaching me how to meditate and I, because I, I don't believe that you, you can teach it. And, and I know people do, and, I, and, and I'm not criticizing and judging anybody else's experience of life. So this is purely personal. I had to discover that meditating for me was something that I, I observe myself doing, and it's, it's not anything that I do. So even the word doing doesn't really fit, but it's something that I observe in myself many, many times a day as I did that 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 process of finding that inner love, peace and joy, right? So I can be sitting at my desk 
heaven forbid, I can be driving, I go into a state of quietening my mind where there is just a quiet, peaceful, no thoughts, um, a state of no mind. And that for me is what I refer to as, as meditating. Right. And even what you say in this conversation comes from that place. Yes. Right. Another question. Have you experienced the paranormal in any way? For want of a better word. Depends what, in what context and what you mean by paranormal. You need to expand the question. Okay. Um, on one hand, things like, you know, what people, the stories about, uh, like, uh, like ghosts and stuff. On the other hand, things like aliens or, no. Neither no. of those. No. No. Um, so my the journey that I write about in my book is about somebody who um, grew up in 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 all of the dogma of the mainstream world, all of you know, I, I went through this domestication process as a little child and was taught all the dogma of organized religion and taught all the dogma of science and of, of um, scientific materialism, the old um, Newtonian physics science. And over time went through a journey of recognizing all the learned beliefs that were put into me and questioning them and then starting a journey of replacing them with beliefs that make more sense to me and that that I choose. But I would kind of refer myself as once upon a time being the world president of the Skeptics Association. I thought everything was woo-woo, right? Um, the stuff that you're talking about, it was all woo-woo. And the, the transformation in just a couple of decades in me was so profound because I, I had this insatiable curiosity about everything and questioned everything. And I'm in a place now where I don't believe anything is woo-woo anymore. I don't believe anything is impossible. Um, the short answer to your question is I have not experienced those things, but it doesn't mean that I think they're not real or possible or, or whatever else right so right. Um, all I can say is I haven't had a personal experience of them what about like seeing auras or anything like that I've seen yeah um, I have and I've seen lots of um, photographs of orbs and, and things like that so yes huh. You know, I quite like the background image you've got there. Yes. Yeah, I, that's something we both we both share is this. We like the, you know, the light shining through the clouds thing. Is yes. The symbolism yes. is. We both go for the same thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. So. Sorry, I'm not sure what to say. Because I've actually prepared less because I know that's how you like to 
neutral non-actual conversation so yeah just listen listen to your inner voice and just see what emerges next and be comfortable with the silence silence isn't uncomfortable for me I hope the audience like the sound of silence anyway. Yes. That's a song. Uh, the sound of silence, that song, it is actually yeah. about, potentially, is it about the gap between thoughts? Do you know, I started, um, I loved the original version by... Um, Simon and Garfunkel, but the new version that was brought out a few years ago um, by, um, what are they called? The grunge band, um, Disturbed. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that one's good. He's actually one of the my favourite songs that has been brought out in the 21st century, and it's one of the few covers that I think is even better than the original because the power and the energy in that is just unbelievable. But I started to listen to the words more and more and I actually thought I would love to sit down with a group of people and actually talk about the meaning of that line by line, verse by verse, because there are so many perspectives you can have on what that song actually means and those words actually mean. So um, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, it's often good to have something to focus on and it, I like the idea of doing it. So, all right. So I've got it up here. Uh, wait, I'll, I'll link. Well, yeah. You can just read out whatever it is that you're reading. Well, I'm afraid I, I'm not sure I'm going to sing it. But it starts off with "Hello, darkness, my yes. old friend." Oh, uh, there's this advert coming up. Give me a sec. Yeah, "Hello, darkness, my old friend." I've come to talk with you again. Yes. So, what comes to mind? And is that like the darkness, like negative emotion sort of thing? Maybe. Um. Well, I, I don't believe in negative emotions because I believe there are only emotions, okay? So there right. aren't good or bad emotions. There are just emotions that we're supposed to feel. They become negative because we don't allow ourselves to feel them, feel them and we store them and then they become our shadows and it's the, 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 the darker, the shadow areas in us that we don't see into and that we haven't allowed ourselves to feel and to complete and so a lot of spiritual teachers talk about shadow work which is working on and shining light into those areas inside of us that are not illuminated where we do not have full view of all of our emotional body and all of our energetic body inside of us so hello darkness i've come to talk to you again means um for me, it means there are parts of me that I need to explore 
in order to complete my healing journey and to completely release and let go all of the emotions from past experiences and past traumas that I couldn't deal with at the time, that I couldn't complete and that I couldn't release. Is that karma? No, I don't it's think something so. Else. Okay, so because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. So is that literal sleeping or is it when you weren't paying attention? Both. And vision softly creeping. So what exactly is that to you? So for me, for instance, um, I have my whole life had the purpose of doing what I'm doing now, which is to share the message that emerged through this book. And, you know, I, in, in normal, literal sense, would say the book that I wrote, but every time I read it or I listen to the audio book, it actually feels like the book wrote me rather than me writing the book. And the impulse to share that message has been there since I've been in this incarnation, in this life, but I didn't recognize it. Um, I didn't hear it. I didn't know what it was saying until I got this far into this journey. Fair enough. So the next thing, the next, well, left it seeds while sleeping. So the, the seeds yes. were sowed into the, your mind. Yeah. That the trauma or whatever you call it. And was it planted in my brain? There you go. Still remains. Still. Well, the, the seeds are not part of the trauma. The seeds are what my essence came here to experience, to contribute, to serve, to, to oh. do, right? And because, like most humans, I went through lots of things that left a traumatic imprint in me, starting with the death of my father when I was a baby and, and, and lots and lots of other experiences, and I had no idea what energy that brought up, which I didn't know how to express and how to complete at the time and which I stored. And so that became part of, and there's also the intergenerational trauma, which was transferred from generation to generation, which I may have some of that in my shadows as well, that I need to shine a light to and, 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 and complete and, 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 dissolve release whatever you want to say so yeah and and then in the midst of that is this other seeds of what i feel now i recognize as my purpose and my mission and my reason for being here what i'm supposed to be doing which is sharing what i'm sharing with you so what do you think happens if someone isn't doing what they came here to do they probably feel frustrated they probably feel like there's got to be more to this. Why, you know, it's that it's that endless searching, that endless feeling of um, <laughs> this doesn't feel complete. Um, yeah. There's something that I'm meant to be doing, um, something I'm meant to be experiencing or, or or sharing. Something about my experience of life doesn't feel complete. Yeah, I imagine so. 
So, and then the last part of that verse is still remains within the sound of silence. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where we find it is when we quieten our mind. Of course. Which goes all the way back to the meditative process. The sounds of silence are... I, I once heard somebody who was in jail at the time who said to me, I can't stop doing head miles. And I had never heard that phrase before. I thought, wow, that is when your mind will not stop, when your thoughts will not stop, when you are doing head miles. And I thought, wow, that is such a powerful phrase. And there are so many people who look to external busyness and noise and distractions and addictions in order to distract them from the head miles mm. because they can't quieten their mind. And so they look to those things to give them some relief from the head miles. So is the head miles the race, the racing thoughts or was it, or whatever, or is it, or the head miles to silence? No, the head miles is, is when there's never any silence. Is yeah. you know why people can't sleep and why people are, are are stressed is because the mind is constantly going and constantly um, running movies of things that they're worried about and 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 anxious about and whatever else. Head miles is when the mind never stops. Right. Yeah, I I can relate to that. Okay, so verse two. In restless dreams, I walked alone, narrowed, no, narrow streets of cobblestone. In restless dreams, I walk, walked alone, narrowed. Why am I saying yeah. narrowed? Uh, I don't know why I'm saying that. Narrow streets of cobblestone. Yeah. I mean, that may refer to the fact that people feel so alone with what it is that's going on in their mind, that they're having these thoughts and these feelings and these dreams and whatever else, but um, they don't know how to share them. And if they're, if they're narrow streets, that, that, that gives a sense of feeling trapped. Yes. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Restless. So it gives a sense of anxiety and I suppose overthinking, really. And you, you yeah. get this in dreams, in, in certain dreams. That there's a certain type of dream where you're trying to resolve something, but you just can't. So yeah. that's almost like they're not properly living because it's all a living dream. Maybe a yeah. living nightmare. Yep. Yeah. Neath the halo of a street lamp, I turned my collar to the cold and damp. Well, I mean, it seems to be a continuation where just trying to get some relief. Yes. And it's in darkness, and there is some light, but it's artificial light. Yes. It's it's external light. It's the it's light in the outside world instead of light in the inside world. Yeah, and that's why it's so dark because you're not shining the light from yourself. Yes, you're relying on artificial external light. No wonder yes. it's in darkness. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. 
When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. So the flash of a neon light may be um, something in the external world that suddenly seems like um, something really bright and attractive, those things that we're attracted to, those sudden ideas or the, the next big thing or the, the next exciting new thing lights up uh, a moment as a big flash of something wonderful and whatever else. But um, the light only lasts momentarily and then the inner darkness comes again. So it touches the sound of silence, but yeah. only touches it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it is a brief moment of inspiration, perhaps, but it's passing. Yeah. And so the next verse. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share and no one dared disturb the sound of silence. So it's describing the fact that all of these other people around are on the same journey. And the writing of the song is that, read that part again about the song. People writing songs that voices never share and no one yes. dared disturb the sound of silence so the the song the voices never dare is exactly what i was describing there is there is a, a song inside each one of us but the way that we were conditioned by our upbringing is that we don't dare to to voice it and to express it and i had to go through decades and decades of not thinking that I was um, good enough to share this message and, and, and suffering from the imposter syndrome and saying, well, who am I to, to, to share this, this message and to, to speak what it is that is inside of me? So that's what the, the song and the voices never dare. It's um, fear and conditioning, right? Yeah. What well, conditioning is done through fear. Yeah, 100%. And so all those 10,000 people, I mean, they're just like, they're in the same position. They're not yes. listening. People are hearing without listening. So, I mean, like, you know what it's like with all these, these people with these different ideologies and these different ideas. And they've all got their different ideas of truth. And they're hearing, but they're not listening, right? Yeah. But they're talking. But are they really speaking with each other? Is it real communication? Or is it just projection or something yeah right yeah yeah it's powerful and it, it, it seems it is inspired and maybe by assassination of kennedy but it, i don't think to just rely on that uh, as the meaning would be that would be missing something much more meaningful it seems like it describes 
it's not the human condition. It's more like, well, it's how it often has become, but doesn't need to be that way. Mm. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, me too. Keep going. <sighs> well, so there isn't any... Oh, wait, yeah, there is. <laughs> so there's an advert in between, so okay. Fool, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. Yeah. So what emerges for you when you hear that silence like a cancer grows? Well, the longer you ignore that part of you that the inner voice the, the quiet yes. voice yes the longer you ignore it the more it grows and also the more the sense of absence grows the more the sense of there's something wrong grows yes so there's no use actually ignoring it because eventually well there's going, you know, you're going to have to listen to it. Otherwise, you might suddenly find you're on your deathbed and you're suddenly aware of it, but it's too late. Yes. And that happens too often. And it, I mean, because this is like a cancer. So, in a sense, the silence is good, but it's painful if it's not being heeded. Yes. Right? It's why you're here. Yeah. And if you're not living your life, you're dying your life. Yeah, right? absolutely. Hear my words that I might teach you, take my arms that I might reach you. So, I mean, in a sense of saying also, it looks just false. So in a sense, okay, people who aren't listening to why they're really here are being foolish, I suppose. And there's a desire to teach and to reach to teach others and to reach others um and it's a two way it's a two way thing i mean yeah. everything about our experience of life is meant to be about giving and receiving and there are some people who do a lot more receiving and some people who do a lot more giving but the reality is that it's an exchange of energy that is meant to be constant and it's meant to be mutual and it's meant to go both ways. Um, so if we believe we know what we know, um, you know, people, for instance, who are caught in their particular political ideology, you know, I'm right wing or I'm left wing, there is no way that you are open to listening to what people with a different view or an opposing view are saying, and yet <clears throat> we're stuck in this merry-go-round, this loop of the same problems and the same issues 
confronting us over and over and over again. And the problems, the, the solutions will never ever come from one side or the other. The solutions come forth holistically from all sources. So um, the song talks as much about us not being prepared to speak our truth potentially, but at the same time, not being prepared to really listen to other people who have opposing views, right? Because I have not yet found a person on this planet who is completely wrong in their views or a person who's completely right. I have never found such a, such a person, even though there are plenty of people who think that they're right. I've never found one. And all of us carry a portion of the, the, you know, of the answer and see partial truth, but none of us see the whole picture and none of us know and understand the whole truth. And we, this is why when I talk about the age of the guru being over and the age of self-mastery, it's because the next level of human consciousness is inviting the solutions to come forth from everywhere, not just from a few enlightened people. Yeah, I would generally agree. And the problem with the character, I mean, character, I mean, it's a song, so I'm not sure how applicable that is, but so he's saying fools and he's saying, and he's commanding essentially, he's saying, hear my words, take my arms. It, he just, he's just demanding essentially. And it's not really surprising that what yes. happens afterwards is my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. So it didn't work. There was his words. He might as well have been silent. Yes. It wasn't received well because he wasn't respecting the other person and he wasn't respecting the interactive process. He was being authoritative. It's like um, what you said, really. He was just... Th that's the, the future isn't in these gurus who pontificate and have to be heeded by authority. You, you got to treat people like equals. Yes. Uh, is there anything else that you get from that? Uh, the wells of science, so it just echoes and echoes. Um, yes. Um, I mean, water, you get water and sustenance from whales, I guess. But no, I don't know if that's related. There is water mentioned in the raindrops and in the well. Well, and, and the funny thing is, you know, and if you've seen the the experiments that were done by that Japanese professor who photographed uh, water molecules and photographed them with different energy being projected onto them and how they, they change their shape and how they take on that, that energy and how the majority of, of our body is made up of water, right? So there's a huge significance in, in water because water um, carries the energy that we feel and of the energy of our thoughts and of our consciousness and of our emotions is reflected in water and we project it onto water and water adjusts to that. So 
there's a there is a significance in the mention of water in there. Yeah, plus a well, it just wells up in there and then yeah. is collected a, a bunch at a time. Which if someone just represses things into their subconscious and then then they go in full rays into their subconscious, that might be I mean that's not necessarily as healthy as not repressing it in the first place. Oh, excuse me. I didn't actually switch on the plug when I am um, to my laptop. So I'll be back in a sec. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite. So what's wasn't well, that the next bit? Then the final verse actually is um. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. Yes. And that reference is even more powerful in 2020 than it was in the 60s when they wrote that song because um, the neon god is the whole external world that we that we kind of just worship as being the answer to everything. It's all yeah. our technologies and all our Transhumanism as well, with this idea that yeah. we can just put ourselves increasingly into machines. I mean, like, how much are we using our phones? Uh divorce from nature and it's just it's nothing compared to nature though is it no you don't make a god what sort of comparison is that read, read it again and the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made Yes. Well, it's, you know, the word God can be very much synonymous to whatever it is that we worship and people's addiction to their devices and to technologies and to all some of those things are, you know, almost worshipping them to the point where you take somebody's iPhone away from them and in many cases they will just go into shutdown mode they, they think they can't even function um, yeah unfortunately it's often like that and the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming yeah and, and I guess for me that always referred to the whole paradigm of marketing and advertising, which is it, it's, it's flashing out its message and telling people what to do, what to think, how to act, how to behave. And when you read between the lines of the message, there are so many warnings in there. And yet um, people's lives are being manipulated constantly through that whole 
Um, I don't even know what word to attach it to it, but through barrage. through marketing and through advertising. Um, Never-ending barrage of marketing. And it's yeah. basically saying, have you ever seen the film They Live? They Live? Yeah, it's this film where it's from the 80s, I think, where this guy gets his glasses and he can suddenly see the truth behind everything. Right. So, like, these adverts are actually saying things like obey yes, and stuff like that. Yes. And in a sense, like all these warnings, it, it, well, warning, fear, um, like we are, we are conditioned through the technology and well, technology is programmed and through it, we are programmed. And as the words do that too. So the next is, um, and the sign said, the words of the prophet are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered, and whispered in the sound of silence. So read it, read it once more. And the sign said, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered tenement. in the sound of, oh, that's, sorry, tenement, tenement halls. Tenant, isn't it? Doesn't well, whoever wrote it, it's, it's meant to be tenant halls, really. But the, the halls where the tenants live, okay. Tenant and the halls. tenant halls that makes more sense. Then. And the words of the prophet are written on the subway walls and tenant halls and whispered in the sound of silence, yeah. And and the ten the subway walls and the tenant halls, and I guess they're referring to a place like New York City. Um, which is where they lived and wrote a lot of those songs, I think, um, are the, the words of pain and suffering and desperation um, are, are written in those places. And so as a consequence to everything that the song talked about earlier, then if you look into the more people lose their identity, the more people lose their personal power, the more they slip into a paradigm of suffering, um, the tenant halls in the, in the slums where they live and in the subways are filled with the words of pain and suffering that they're, that they're going through as a consequence of everything that the song talks about. But these days it's the internet. Yes. And yes, how but, many people are just arguing with each other? Mindlessly and honestly and mindlessly, yes. Yes. And then it spills onto the riots, onto the streets. Like, it shows that for the... We're in the verge of awakening, or we're at a point of awakening, but at the same time, we're at the point where things are, in a sense, almost darkest, more darker than they've ever been. Even on the face value, they might look brighter than they've ever been because of all this technology. But it's the very things that, on face value, make our life better than ever, but actually divorce us from what really matters more than ever. So it's a contradictory state that we're in. 
because it's it's closer to it. It's like the dark night of the soul on a collective level. That's what I think is going on. So that's why it, it seems like it's in the it's never been worse and it's never been better at the same time. Well, yeah. it was also on the verge of a big breakthrough potentially. And a lot of people they 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 go through a lot of misery before their breakthrough. Like even in my case, like before I actually started doing my spiritual stuff, I was actually I got to a point where I was pretty miserable. Yeah. Um, before I started my podcast, so and a lot of people, I, 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 there's two different approaches. There's Kensho and Satori, apparently. I, And uh, basically, one is a gradual approach to awakening, one is in a big jump, and one is brought about through suffering, and one is brought about through uh, joy, maybe, or gra- and one is a gradual thing, and one is uh, they're different, I suppose. In your case, it, what was it like for you? So you you just had a discovery. Yeah. It was incredibly gentle, incredibly gradual, incredibly organic and incremental. So Mm, I, I watch, like one of the things that I love to observe the most is me changing my mind, right? If I don't change my mind for... A, a period of time, I start getting twitchy because I'm feeling like, oh my God, I'm getting stuck in, in one spot. So, but because I'm constantly open to new perspectives, to new information, to new ways of looking at things, um, when something new comes in, it starts off as just information. And then you can learn information and it becomes knowledge. And if you really, really cram and study and memorize knowledge, it can virtually become philosophy. But it's not until it's felt and experienced that it becomes our truth, that it becomes my truth. And when it gets to that point, then it becomes part of me. When I, the the things that I'm sharing with you are not things that I learned out of a textbook. They're not things that I memorized. They're not things that are philosophy. They're things that I have lived and felt and experienced. And so I don't need to rehearse or prepare to have a conversation like this because I'm just sharing what's me, right? And so when new information comes, it takes a while for me to to sit with that and then to see whether that is really meant to become my truth. And then I need to feel it and experience it. So my journey that you're referring to kind of looks like a step. You've got a step up and then there's a bit of a flat bit and then another step up and another flat bit and and, and it sort of goes incrementally. And sometimes the flat bits are a bit longer because it needs to become embedded and it needs to really become part of me. But the interesting thing is that each step, as I get up to another step and I turn around and look back, all of my past experiences look different because I'm looking at them from a different perspective. Um, And that's one of the really, really fascinating things because things that I once saw as being 
traumatic and unfair and wrong, I now go look at them with sheer gratitude because I realize how valuable and how important those experiences were, even though at the time I didn't like those experiences or I felt like a victim or whatever. Um, there is nothing that I've experienced in my life looking at it from today when I turn around and look back that I don't appreciate and feel grateful for everything that's, that's happened. And so that's how the journey is and continues to be and, and was for me. But it's been, I've given myself the gift of making this gentle and incremental. And so it becomes incredibly joyful and, and, and enjoyable. Right. Yeah. So I want to see what happens if I emulate you. <laughs> <laughs> because I've tried the hard, the, you know, the other approach. Yes. There are people who look for those earth shattering, mind blowing experiences, right? And some people have this sudden flash and, and, and whatever else. But what always made me wary is that when you have them, when you come back down, you're back down to where you were before. Or when you have an experience like that, you spent the rest of your life trying to replicate it and you can't find another similar experience and you feel frustrated because you had this, this explosive experience and then you think, oh, where's my next one and, and whatever else. Whereas I guess what the gift that I've given myself is that it has been so incremental so gently step by step yeah sounds like the way to do it i'm wondering is there another song that you really like ah, i like lots of songs but there's, there's none that comes to mind that would be relevant to this conversation but it's interesting that you picked that one because i have wanted to find somebody to just talk to about those lyrics ever since I heard the new version of that song. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed um, dissecting that. Yeah, the way it was and sung I, was fantastic. Uh, to clarify, are, are, it's metal, by the way. <laughs> Not that it really matters. What's metal? The genre. Oh, the new version. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. You're right. But, but they don't... Like... I can't listen to any of their other songs. I, it's just not that, that, that genre of music, that heavy metal and grunge is not me. And yet that particular song is just musical brilliance and, and, and mastery. And, and it's one of my all time favorite songs. And it's so, um, it's, it's so funny to watch who actually delivered it because had I not heard it by accident, I would never ever listen to that band because I'm just not into that genre of music. It makes it, it, it does terrible things to my energy, and yet in yeah. that song, it's opposite. I have heard that metal is actually lower frequency, and, and I kind of feel I'm not sure how to feel about it because I know it's kind of true, but I also know I like it. <laughs> Well, especially you really used to like it. So this is why I used to like progressive metal because progressive metal was like 
I suppose you could say, you know, like progressive rock, you know, it's like that is a lot more, I guess it's got a bit more sophistication to it, but then maybe it's more pretentious, so. Well, and, and I guess I'm somebody who doesn't like putting anything into boxes and which yeah. includes music as well. So I'm not into genres and, and putting stuff into boxes. I feel each piece of music based on that particular piece of music. I don't care what box somebody puts it in, right? Um, it, it does something to me energetically and it, it some push really really lift me up and then there are others where i need to turn it off because it's causing me pain right and a lot of heavy metal falls into the category of causing me pain so i need to turn it off um yeah i've, I've I, started to change what i listen to a bit based on just how i respond i mean like just because i enjoy it it doesn't mean it's good for me it's such a personal thing. Like the only person who, who knows that and can answer that is you. Um, I can't even comment on that because it's such a personal thing. And, and I would never, ever judge anybody's choice of music or art because, you know, as I said, there's, there's nearly 8 billion different experiences of life, which means we ex not only we experience everything uniquely, including art, including music, everything so it's a very personal thing right so you've written a phd in me and you've started a podcast which you've been yes. doing for a few months first of all how's it going yeah well i mean the podcast is is just part of the phd in me platform so i'm launching what i'm referring to the phd in me institute which is an offering that allows people to come on their own journey and to be guided and mentored on that journey of discovery themselves. And so I'm still in the process of, of finalising that and launching that. So the podcast, I guess, is to give a voice to that whole platform. All right. Well, definitely keep me posted on it because yes. I'm interested. Yes, I will. And I imagine you'll be teaching people how to teach themselves, I guess. I will be sharing some seed thoughts and insights with people for them to learn what they need to learn and what is right for them. Um, I don't right, want to yeah. give anybody the seven secrets and the five steps to anything. Um, and at the front, at the top of the website, is a phrase that really, really highlights my belief about all that. And it says, this is the only place where you are taught nothing and you learn everything. Oh, yeah, that, that, that stands out to me. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, that's my philosophy about sharing my life experiences and my insights with people um, is that whatever is there for them to learn, they will learn if they're, if, if they're open to it. But I don't want to teach them what I learned. I simply want to share those thoughts and those insights and then allow each person or invite each person to take from that whatever is right for them in this particular moment. Right. Well, do you have any questions for me? 
No, no, I've enjoyed our conversation um, as I did the first time. So thank you for sharing this time and space with me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, I sense it's coming to an end. Yes. Yes. I'll happily do it again. Yeah, we can do it again because it'll be a different version of Nick and a different version of Chris that shows up next time. So um, it'll be uh, a different conversation again. Yeah, and this was this is unique in its own way. Uh, the whole sound of silence thing was quite nice to do. So, yes. yes. All right. Well, you have a nice morning, and I'll have a nice yes, evening. All right. Okay. Bye, Chris. Bye, bye.